This Holy Mass is being offered for the intentions of Timothy Lejeune. As you came into church today, you likely realized that it was a whole lot more violet hanging around. Uh, And this is a beautiful gift, part of the expression of Passion Sunday, that as we enter into this time, it's sort of a, a season within a season. Uh, that we come and, and these, these last few days, it's this, this steady stripping away of things, right? We have Septuagesima where we start to kind of adapt to uh, get, our, you know, get our hearts ready for the Lenten season. We start to strip away the Gloria, the Alleluia verses. Uh, this week, we, we strip away uh, the Gloria Patri. So if, you, if you're normally, uh, if you're following along the Asperges and you've picked up by now where the Gloria Patri is, you may have bowed and the choir went right on in, into the antiphon again. Uh, this is the, the Gloria Patri is even stripped away. And also even the, 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 the veils are placed up within the church during these last two weeks, this, this passion tide, this time to be able to, to really focus upon the, the crucifixion of our Lord. Again, the Lenten season up to this point has, has largely been focused upon converting our own hearts, focusing upon ourselves and, and renewing, renewing our, our penance and, and repentance and turning back to the Lord. And these last two weeks really simply are, are to, to make sure that we, that we turn our gaze from ourselves, holy to Christ crucified. And so this is part of the, part of the reason that we veil uh, is some of these things that's continued drawing us closer and closer into the mystery, as well as the liturgical fact that our blessed Lord, uh, as we just heard in the gospel, both in Latin and in English, that as they were trying to take up stones, he went and he hid himself. It was not yet his hour unless he be killed too soon before he institute the, the blessed sacrament, before he institute the priesthood and give the, the gift of the church, lest he be killed before his hour comes. He went and he hid himself. And so the veils also are this reminder of the Lord hiding himself, waiting for the moment where his, his, his fullness of gift of himself on the cross will come. So we rejoice in these veils. They continue to bring us closer to Christ. Continuing this reflection series on the precepts of the church, today we arrive at the sixth precept of the church, what I refer to as the Pluto of the precepts of the church, and then I was told after, I was told after Mass it didn't actually tell you what it was. Uh, so maybe some of you knew it already, uh, maybe some of you didn't uh, in my initial homily some weeks ago when I began the series. But the, the Pluto of planets, uh, again, the Pluto, I call it that because right, when I grew up, Pluto was a planet, and now it's not a planet, according to some people. Uh, I still think it is. Now, I still think it's a planet. I still think it's important, right? Uh, and so much the same with this precept. If you look in the, in the old Roman catechisms, it says there are six precepts of the church, including this one. If you look at the current catechism, it says there are five precepts of the church, minus this one. And as much as the catechism, I, I, I'm convicted, it's, it's indeed true, and the, and the church is able to set these requirements of these very necessary minimums for us, to be able to set these things that are for us the standards of the, the, the positive laws for us to follow. Uh, it is uh, still something that has value for us. Uh, it's not something that, that simply because the law itself uh, doesn't, uh, uh, is not a, a precept, um, it doesn't mean that it's not important for us. And so it's good for us to be able to, to reflect upon it. And so I mentioned this kind of as a, a, a sort of precept sixth with a little, a little asterisk uh, kind of at the top of it in that manner. And so the sixth precept of the church, you shall observe the marriage laws of the church. And again, if ever there was a time that we would need this, this precept of the church, I think it would be good to have it in these days. That's a different sermon. That's a different, uh, a different uh, you know, pulpit that I can climb into there. But it's this reality that Mother Church has laws regarding holy matrimony. And as Catholics, we are bound to follow them. 
And again, simply because it's not a precept doesn't mean that we don't have to follow them. It simply means it's not a precept. But it is a still of a great seriousness and a great importance in the life of the church. To look at this, this, uh, the nuts and bolts of what does this mean, we can answer or look to a few of the questions that, that children love to ask and that we ought to continually have upon our lips as we contemplate the things of God. What, who, where, how, when, and ultimately why? First, the what. Marriage is uh, the joining together of a husband and wife in a bond that is permanent, that is faithful, that's opened to the gift of life and children, and has as one of its primary goals the continued the unity of the individuals, the good of spouses in so many words, uh, that has a, a purpose of seeking uh, and attaining the highest good, namely salvation. Right? And so it's, it's a, an institute that is given. It's a sacrament of service by which an individual is able, able to, to join in this lifelong bond and to become, by that bond, saints. This is the reality of the what. And while many in the world might like to change the what and to allow individuals to be able to marry whoever they want by whatever circumstance with whatever conditions uh, or lack thereof on the thing, the simple reality is that if someone marries without meeting these primary guidelines of, of what is marriage from the church, one has not actually married. And they might call it a civil marriage, they might call it something else, but uh, but the reality is that it is not what the church actually understands as marriage. Right? And so these are kind of the, the starting points of what is marriage. Secondly, the church dedicates uh, a point uh, in, our, in our laws to who a person can marry. Specifically, Catholics are to marry Catholics. Now, it's his understanding, or idea was an understanding that, that Catholics are to marry Catholics, and sometimes we hear that that used to be the case. Used to you couldn't marry people who weren't Catholic. Well, still the reality is the law is, the, still the law is Catholics marry Catholics. I know that there are, I know that there are parents who come and will, will gently tell their children, look around at Mass. This is the dating pool, right? This is the reality of things, and it's a good thing, right? Why is it the church would tell us a Catholic is supposed to marry a Catholic? Why would we even make that a law? Well, if Catholicism is, 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 is true, if, if, God is, if God is true, and if, if our faith is supposed to be the most important thing for ourselves more than anything else in this world, uh, husbands, wives, you know, uh, you know, fathers, children, you know, all, these, all the things that our blessed Lord and St. Peter says with the renounce, if all of these things, if, if our faith is the most important thing, that it's important, especially in the matrimony, to be able to have that faith be shared. It shows the, the goodness of it. It shows the, the, the joy of coming together and not having the thing that should be the central mystery, the central binding principle of, of the matrimony to be something where the people have two different experiences, two different understandings. This is the reality, is that Mother Church would, would seek to have us uh, to have that, that bond of unity uh, be not simply a, a natural thing, but a supernatural thing where families can, can live their faith together and not simply have to face all the uncomfortable practical questions of, well, if, if I go to this church and you go to that church, do we swap off churches every other weekend, uh, which is not an option for a Catholic, right? Uh, is it, is it the, the, the Catholic, the, Catholic uh, the non-Catholic party, you know, comes to the Catholic church and then just doesn't, doesn't experience their own form of worship, uh, had, you know, the, the raising of the children, all these kinds of questions can arise, and they certainly can be, you know, places of, of great tension 
in the gift of, of matrimony. And so this is why Mother Church advises us, it's good to marry a Catholic person, right? If you're Catholic, it's good to marry Catholic. Uh, and so the reality is that sometimes uh, people choose not to marry another Catholic, and there's a dispensation, and so uh, it's, a, it's a dispensation from the law, right? And so this is the reality, is the law holds. If I have to sign a dispensation paper, it means we're changing the observance of the law. And every time a person marries someone who is not Catholic, there's the sit-down question where we have to fill out this form, we have to fill out this paper, and the Catholic party has to profess their faith. They have to profess it verbally in front of me to be able to say that I, 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 I claim my faith, I pronounce my faith, I intend to raise my children in their faith, and, and, I, and I'm not renouncing my faith even in the smallest bit, right? And so there has to be this affirmation that's present there in the midst of this. And so uh, this is part of the reality of, of, of the who of marriage is Mother Church sets as the ideal to marry another Catholic, right? There's also the other thing that's less frequently an issue. I've never really had the people who are upset about, the, about this one. It's also that you can't marry a person who is your kin uh, within more than three degrees of relationship, right? Uh, and so you have to, you count relationships. So if, if you're married, right, so it's at least three, right? And so you're like, you can't marry your uncle. You can't marry, you know, your, your, your papa. You can't marry, you know, the, you know it's like you got you to gotta have at least a certain distance away. So there's got to be at least, at least three bars <laughs> on, the, on the family tree between you and someone else you marry. Uh, for some people, that's still a little bit too close, all right? And so usually more people would be more inclined to say, can we, can we make sure we're at least farther than that, right? And so just kind of a, a natural kind of, kind of uh, repulsion uh, in some manner. But the church says, you know, at a minimum, all right, we have to be at least this far away from each other on the branches of the family tree. Again, not usually a thing, but it is part of the law and worth presenting simply for the sake of presenting the fullness of what we're presenting here. So that leads us then to the thing that more, more people tend to have an issue with, which is the place wherein the wedding is actually celebrated. So it's a, a normative thing in our culture today for individuals who are pursuing the matrimony uh, to be able to, to desire something, uh, a beautiful ceremony in a beautiful place, which is fitting. Unfortunately, they don't think of St. Agnes when they think of the beautiful place. They don't think of beautiful churches. Many times they think of a beach or a mountaintop or a nice plantation where they have beautiful oak trees that have been planted and you get to walk or drive through the oak trees and these kinds of things. And so there's this temptation by many in our culture that experience the temptation of, of wanting to have a wedding outside of the church. As Catholics, uh, that's not really an option for us, right? In some places, the bishop may have dispensed from the law even there, but this is, is, is rather a rare thing because marriage is a liturgical act. It's not just a, it's not just a, you know, the priest kind of happens to show up. There's a liturgy here, right? There's something that takes place in, in the midst of uh, the presence of God. And so the fitting place for liturgy, liturgy to take place is a church, right? And so it's to be able to come to the church, to be able to have one's marriage. Now, again, there can be a dispensation. If someone is marrying someone who is not Catholic, the law can be derogated from, uh, and they can marry in another location. And so if you really want to get married outside, find yourself someone who's not Catholic uh, and, and get a dispensation from it. Again, you'll have a whole host of other problems to deal with, but you'll have really pretty wedding pictures, right? And we can check that off the box, right? And so uh, there's this reality that, that it's a good thing to be married in the church because, I mean, simply put, he's here. <laughs> I know God is everywhere, all right, uh, but we're not pantheists. 
He is here in a particular way, in a concrete way, that He's not everywhere else. Again, we can encounter God in His beauty in a profound way, but we do not encounter Him in the Eucharist, in the celebration of a holy mass that binds the two together and nourishes with the food that comes from heaven the newlywed couple. This is not something that takes place on the mountainside, on the beach, or at the plantation, or whatever pretty place one may find oneself. It's the Lord who is here. And how blessed for those who recognize that, that it's not just the two who make a covenant, but it's rather, it's a covenant of three. The three-corded band never breaks. And the third cord, of course, is Christ. It's God Himself who comes to bind the two together with that, with that, that great sacramental ability that He has of joining two souls. This is a gift. And so it's a blessing to be able to come to the church and to be able to, to celebrate in the house of God, in the presence of God, with the community of God, the people of God here in the church. The next is the how. The marriage preparation process is something that has kind of evolved over the years, uh, but the reality is that at this point in the life of the church, that the laws indicate that there are certain preparations that must be made, that there, is a, there are questionnaires that must be filled out. Uh, typically, there's a retreat or some kind of one-on-one -on -one, uh, kind of engagement with a couple, uh, with, a, with a, a sponsor couple, with a priest or a deacon or something to that effect. And there's various things that we have to do uh, so as to, you know, to, to be able to, to complete these certain things uh, before the individuals uh, actually uh, walk down the aisle. And so, again, there's a preparation process that takes place over a period of, of time. The church usually says about six months. Uh, and so, to be able to, to have these things uh, is, again, the law, the law of the church is coming into play even here, that there must be some sort of preparation. You don't just show up at the sacristy with your beloved and say, Father, we'd like to get married right here and right now. We're in the church. We're good Catholics. All right, everything's ready to roll. It's just, it's not an option today, right? There has to be some period of preparation. And the last thing is the, is the when. There also has to be uh, particular times where marriage can and cannot take place. Uh, it's normative that uh, in, in the universal church that there are particular days where you do not celebrate other sacraments. Uh, one of those is Good Friday, right? There's no communion services on Good Friday outside of the Good Friday liturgy itself. You have to literally be dying. The church says you have to be dying to receive communion on Friday, on Good Friday, if you're not at the liturgy. So, right, and so it's, a, it's like everything kind of gets stripped away. And so, obviously, if you're getting married, you're not going to have a wedding on Good Friday. The church is simply going to say, no, no matter how much you like the date or the venue is free or any of these other things, right, the answer is simply no. There's something more important happening that day that you should be attentive to not simply the, the marriage ceremony that would be a, a celebratory occasion, uh, but rather it's a day to mourn, a day to repent, right? And so there are other, there are other days kind of throughout the year where Mother Church tells us at times uh, that we are, would not be permitted to celebrate uh, the matrimony. Also in the Diocese of Baton Rouge until recently, there was the, the, the fact of uh, that, that on Saturday evenings, weddings could not be celebrated, but you could celebrate it before the vigil mass. Uh, Bishop Duca started to, he allowed uh, Saturday evening weddings beginning last year, uh, and there was a, kind of a, a, a ruckus among the priests and the clergy, and was, we've always done it this way, right? And so even priests say that sometimes too, huh? We've always done it this way, right? Um, and so, but it's the reality that the bishop does have the ability to, to be able to set times uh, for particular reasons, actual, you know, for good theological and practical reasons on some of these things. And so it's for us to be mindful of this as well. 
And the question in the end of all of this is the one that, that matters most to most people is why? Why does the church care this much and have so many rules and details about all of these things? What's the reason that the church has, a, has, a, you know, has set the, the, the laws of here's what marriage is, of who you can and cannot marry, when you have to get dispensations from such things? Why is it that they, that they dedicate a particular place, that they dedicate particular times, that you have to do these certain things beforehand? And in the end, the answer is simply because the church is a good mother. That's the reason. Because the church is a good mother who loves her children, and as such, she does things to show her love for her children. She recognizes that her children are, are part of something much larger than themselves. And as such, that marriage is something that is, is an institution that is, that is given to us by the Lord, that is something that's not just two individuals kind of doing their thing together, but they affect the entire world around them. Right? Again, last week we reflected the mention, you know, the, the calling to mind that St. Paul, we're all members of the body of Christ. If one member suffers, others suffer. If one member rejoices, the other should rejoice. What one member of the body of Christ does necessarily affects other people, whether we think about it or not. Right? And this is the, the simple fact, is that marriage has a profound effect in our society. Whether it's lived poorly or lived well, it changes things. And this is what the church has. The church advises to be able to, to be married well, to be that living witness of God in the world. Right? The family is the basic cell of society. It's the foundation of all things that are built up after that. And so it's for us, the mother church, as a good mother, wants there to be a solid foundation, a foundation that will stand the test of time, that will stand the, 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 the waves of, of life that come at it, and that is willing and able to persevere in all of these things because God is the center, because God has been, has been such an important piece from the start. This Mother Church who wants the individuals not simply to have a good family life, but to have a good culture. The church wants the world to prosper, not just a little piece of it. And so the church actually cares about culture as a whole, the culture in which we live, which is necessarily affected by every single person, specifically, those who live matrimony, either for the good or for the ill. Mother Church also loves her children and it desires our good. It desires our happiness. It desires our sanctification, our prosperity. So Mother Church doesn't allow us simply to, to enter into things uh, in a way in which it may damage us or cause more harm or to allow unneeded suffering to take place. Every single one of us knows that whenever you see a child running for the street, the one usually running after is the parent, right? You know, you don't just kind of, you know, just yell at the kid or give them, good, give them kind encouragement. You go grab them, right? Or if a child's reaching for the stove, you pull the hand back, right? Whenever we see someone who is doing something that is bad for them, we, in, in Christian charity, we ought to say, that's not good for you. Hold on, right? Stop. And this is what Mother Church does with us, her children, is this, this reminder to, that if we enter into things uh, without understanding the full implications or without being entirely ready for it, it can be worse than better. The reason that Mother Church puts so much emphasis upon all of these things is she wants her children to experience the joy of marriage, not the cross of marriage. She wants to, her children to experience the goodness of couples that love each other and rejoice in, in the goodness of God together, 
expressing their faith together. As Mother Church, who wants her children to experience uh, couples who, who, who have been able to work through the, the things uh, that needed to be worked through in their relationship and to be able to come out stronger on the backside and to be able to celebrate the, the victory of Christ, the power of God's grace at work in a marriage rather than simply to experience the cross of divorce or separation or, you know, at best, maybe if you stick around together, you just kind of, you don't really like each other, but you said yes and you stick with it, right? Mother Church wants marriages that are happy and holy, that are rich and full of grace, not something lesser. And so this is the reason why we have all of these things. The reason there's a preparation process is because Mother Church wants to make sure that couples get support for their marriage. They have some encouragement to, to be able to recognize, in case you didn't notice, there are some weaknesses here. And there are also some really great strengths. And we, want, we want to talk to you about these things and encourage you and walk with you and help you to be ready for the gift of yourself that you make at the altar, right? There's a reason that, you know, when you go in the seminary, you, know, you don't just sign for the seminary and then, and then go lay down on the cathedral floor the next week. That would be absolute madness. You'd have a terrible, you'd have a terrible crop of priests around the diocese if that was the case, right? It takes time. It takes preparation. It takes a conforming of one's heart that, 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 that allows you then ultimately in the end to make an informed yes. And marriage is exactly the same. We need holy families. We need holy marriages. And this begins with Mother Church kind of offering, here are the ways to receive these things. Here's the way, here's the path uh, to be able to offer this goodness. And last piece is that in the midst of all of these things, this simple reality that marriage is a sacrament, that it's not something that's uh, a, just a human bond, that it is, it is a human institution in the sense that it exists, it exists in a human manner, but it is a human institution that was taken by God and given some, some new supernatural power, grace. It is a sacrament. It is something that Mother Church has given and set before the faithful as, as an instrument of salvation. By living matrimony well, you become saints. This is the fact of things. And the gift of the beauty of, of matrimonial grace as the sacramental grace is that it's there continuously. You can't receive communion 24 hours a day. You can't go to confession 24 hours a day. You can be baptized 24 hours a day and confirmed 24 hours a day, right? But, like, but the, the things that we often experience as, as places of grace, we think about it as things that happen in, in moments, just instances, right? So we go to church and we get grace. We spend some time in prayer and we get grace. We do this and we get grace. But the reality is if you're living in the sacrament of matrimony, grace is available to you in every single moment of the day, in all of its sidingness and all of its boringness. Life, the entirety of life, is grace. And as such, Mother Church wants to guide these things. When we celebrate a sacrament, when we do something in particular as the church, there are rules and guidelines. Any book you open up, any ritual book, always at the front, there's a, there's a, a starting point of here's all the rules for celebrating this sacrament. Here's the who, what, where, when, why, how, and all the other things. Why would it be any different with matrimony? If it's a sacrament, something that we take serious as a, a means of sanctification, as a means of salvation, as a means of receiving the life of God, why would we treat it with any less dignity and allow it simply to be done with as one might please? Rather, we set up the rules. We show that which is good and holy, and we lead it ultimately towards, towards Christ. 
Now, having said all of this, I recognize that the reality is that divorce does still happen. Uh, annulments still are needed. Civil marriages still take place. And if any of those instances are with any of you who are present here, I would encourage you to, to come to speak with me to, or to go speak with someone else, to speak a member of the clergy, and to seek to rectify these things. Because again, God desires our goodness. He desires our prosperity. And Mother Church, as a loving mother, desires exactly the same. And so it's an offering for us to be able to, to come to this Holy Mass as indeed we come in and draw closer and closer to the, to the font of grace, the font of the cross, uh, where the sacraments pour forth, is to rejoice that the sacrament of matrimony has been given to the church. Not necessarily a precept these days, but still of great importance. Our world needs the light that is husbands and wives who are filled with the life of Christ filled with the life of grace, families that have been experiencing this, this, this outpouring of God's grace in abundance. May God grant us the grace in our world today, in our church today, to see many holy families, to see individuals convicted in their hearts to come to bind themselves to one another within the church, before Christ, in the presence of the community, for the glory of God, for the encouragement of the world, for the salvation of their souls.